In this episode of 2000 Books, serial disruptor Jay Samet talks about why fast speed to failure is every entrepreneur's great MO and why as entrepreneurs we need to not only create value but also capture value and there's a big difference there. And why as entrepreneurs there's little difference between obstacles and opportunities. Well, hello, hello my ambitious friends and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Jay Samet is a dynamic entrepreneur and entrepreneur who is widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on disruption and innovation. He launches billion-dollar businesses, transforms entire industries, revamps government institutions, and for over three decades, continues to be at the forefront of global trends. Everyone from the Pope to the President calls on Jay to orchestrate positive change in this era of endless innovation. Samit helped grow pre-IPO companies such as LinkedIn and eBay, held senior management roles at Sony and Universal Studios, pioneered breakthrough advancements in mobile video, internet advertising, e-commerce, social networks, e-books, and digital music that are used by billions of consumers every day. Samit is the consummate dealmaker. His list of partners and associates reads like a who's who list of innovators, including Bill Gates, Steven Spielberg, Steve Jobs, Reid Hoffman, David Geffen, Richard Branson, Paul Allen, and Pierre Omidyar. An adjunct professor at USC, Samet teaches innovation at America's largest engineering school and is author of the international best-selling book, Disrupt You, which we're talking about today. Wow, Jay, what an intro. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. So let's talk about the book. But before we talk about the book, let's talk about your story. What led you to write the book? So Disrupt You was really my 30-year journey and looking back and what have I learned that can make the path easier for the next person trying to become an entrepreneur. And to be honest, when I got out of college, my goal wasn't to be an entrepreneur. I bought into society's implicit social contract, get good grades, go to good university and live happily ever after. And I got out of college when there was a recession and there were no jobs. So you have two choices at that point. Say your life is over or figure out how to make a difference. And so I wanted to create special effects like George Lucas did in Star Wars. And I had no computer background, no equipment, and no connections. But I went out and printed business cards for a dollar saying that I worked at a special effects company. I didn't even make myself boss of this mythical company. But with a little bit of hustle and walking around and and whatever, next thing you know, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of business. You don't have a clue how to do it. And then you go about hiring people with the actual talent that would rather be employees than owners. And that led me on a path of, you know, working to create the first auction that became eBay or working with Reid Hoffman on LinkedIn or Uvu or all these giant technologies used by billions, as well as I've been an entrepreneur running new divisions from scratch for people like Sony and EMI and Universal and big, big companies. And so I've seen it from both sides. I've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups. And when you look around and so many people that you know became billionaires, it wasn't that they went to the right schools. It wasn't that they had the right connections. So you start looking, what did they do differently? And 70% of the world's billionaires are self-made. 
They got the same 24 hours in a day that you and I do, but they're looking at the world through a different lens. And so Disrupt You is really to show anybody how you can do it. And it's much, much easier today. You have in your pocket a device that connects you to six billion consumers. You only have to reach them once. You only have to be right for a nanosecond to become a billionaire. And so this is that story and this is that process. Yeah, and uh, definitely this book has so many great stories that uh, show how to disrupt yourself. Let's let's get into the book a little bit. Let's let's try to understand uh, from a ten thousand feet overview perspective. What is this? What are we going to learn from the book? So disrupt you is in three sections, and the, and everybody wants to change the world, but no one realizes that it starts with changing yourself. And so much of your childhood was people telling you what you can't do, and each one of those limitations you start to internalize. And, and if you really think that you're not going to be successful, congratulations, you're right. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So if you can learn that not only taking a different approach and how to use visualization and all the tools, and it briefly talks about the science behind it, you can actually change your physiology. Your attitude can rewire the wiring of your brain. And so the first third's about that. Once you realize that you're malleable, that you're changeable, going out into that big business world, it suddenly seems much more accessible. And so I break down the value chain of how businesses work from research and development and marketing and sales and distribution and show people that the big mistake most people do is they try to you know, go out with a new product or change something and they try to take the whole value chain on. In today's world, just focus on the place where the most value is created that you can capture and defend. And so when you start looking at business that way, you'll suddenly see a world of opportunity. And then the last third is really my favorite part of the book. You've, you've made money, you've figured out life, and you're really looking for something more. And I believe the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. What if you take those same tools of disruption that you used on yourself and on business and went for some big problems, whatever problem you want? education, clean water, the environment. The world's got plenty of problems, and the only people that are going to solve them are entrepreneurs. So the last third is how to apply it, and some amazing stories of you know people that took on the banking industry with only $27 and changed micro-lending, and you know, mm -hmm. you know, just tons and tons of stories of people that are just regular folks. Uh, and it's, it's meant to inspire, it's meant to support, and I am humbled. I have to tell you, I've had a wonderful career and it's great to pay back. And I teach a course of how to build a high-tech startup for university students. And I had two students in, in the class. First year, they did $150 million. So it's very teachable. But what's rewarding is to hear back from people in dozens of countries around the world how one story, one chapter, one idea changed how they were thinking about their business, changed their career. I, I had a, an amazing note yesterday from a, a gentleman in, in Pakistan. It literally brought tears to my eyes. He was making $70 a month. And by reading the book, he changed. And within just a couple months, was the leading guy in his field, wow. making tons of money, literally doing the, why don't I take that idea that somebody's doing in the US and I'll just do it here. He didn't have a dime to his name. And, and, you know, I think he would have been successful and figured life out on his own, but to give you the credit for, for just being that, that one push that made it that much easier. So that's why I do this. That's great. Uh, uh, 
And let's let's jump into the book itself. Let's let's try to understand from an ambitious entrepreneur's perspective, as you said. That's right. Disrupt you. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about the most important ideas for an entrepreneur, for the ambitious upstarts, for the guys who are making it or trying their very best to make it happen every day. Um, what what would be the key components of that? So, the, so the first one is which I talked about is it doesn't start with looking externally. It starts with internally. And you know, in my personal story, which I was honest about. I didn't talk till I was five. I struggled my whole childhood to learn how to read. I was dyslexic. And in my generation, that was, you're an idiot. I mean, first grade, the teacher divides into three reading groups, the eagles, the hawks, and the mud hens. You know, <laughs> when you're a mud hen, you know, life is over, right? Um, go sit in the corner with the other losers. And so you start internalizing and expecting that you can't. And less dramatically, we all think I'm not good at math or I can't do this or I'm not an engineer or whatever it might be. Let's wait a second. How much code did Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple, the most successful tech company of all time, how much code did Steve ever write? Nothing. Not one line. Can't read code. He's not an engineer. Okay? So you can backfill with other talents. You can... Make your dreams come true. But again, the difference between a dream and a goal is a deadline, you know, and how to work backwards from that goal and fill in the missing pieces. So it's really very important for entrepreneurs to understand that they can get out of their comfort zone, which then leads to the second most important thing, which is culturally so different in different countries, which is this fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And when you are afraid to fail, that means you're afraid to try. And if you don't try anything, you won't get anywhere. There's a huge difference between failing and failure. Failing is trying stuff that you find out doesn't work. Congratulations. That's learning. That's growing. You're building your business. You know, the, the symbol of the, of the genius, the light bulb, you know, Thomas Edison's light bulb. He tried 10,000 things till he figured it out. Failure is throwing in the towel and go, woe is me. I can't make it work. And when I, when I lecture in India and Russia and some other countries where the culture are different, you know, if a, if a young uh, person comes out of college and says, mom, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, they hit him on the head, of the high, head with a frying pan and say, no, go get a real job. Um, and so they never try. So really getting used to that failing is part of the process, learning when to pivot, learning when to keep going and when to give up. And when we talk about that and disrupt you. And, and it's very important. And, and so many examples. I mean, you know, What's household names that you think of like Heinz Ketchup or Henry Ford or Walt Disney all went bankrupt before they built their billion dollar companies. Or I had, I had guys that I worked with at the very beginning of my career. They had a genius idea. Hook up traffic lights to a computer to reduce urban congestion. Hello, genius no brainer. Um, it was the 1970s and city planners like, what are you talking about a computer? Get out of here. So Trafo Data, the first company of Bill Gates and Paul Allen, mm-hmm. failed. How different would the world be if Bill Gates and Paul Allen said, you know, this business thing isn't right for us. Let's go get a job. Their second company, Microsoft, did $17,000 its first year. And they said, you know what? That's not bad. And then they went on to be two of the richest people in the history of mankind. So it happens to everybody. And, and the pivoting part of it, so many businesses sound like they make sense, and then they don't. But when you look at the data, when you look at what doesn't, 
that's the moment where you've gone farther into the woods, farther into the jungle than anybody else. And that's where you get the insight that nobody else traveled that far to find out. And, you know, my favorite example, uh, it's in, in the book, 10 years ago, broadband was just coming along. And three guys sat down and said, oh, my God, computer dating, we're going to revolutionize it. Instead of still pictures, there'll be videos. You can see their personality, their accents. We're going to make a fortune. So uh, they had a site called TuneIn Hookup, and you could go and look at these videos, and no one wanted to date these ugly losers. <laughs> there goes their business. They didn't count on that. But they looked at the data, and rather than giving up, they said, wait a second, nobody wants to date the guy in that video, but everybody wants to show that video to their friends and say, oh my God, can you see the caliber of people I have to choose from, how awful it is? So they changed the name of TuneIn Hookup to YouTube. And they became billionaires their first year in business without raising one dime. That's Chad Hurley and the crew. Yep. Wow. And what, what you're really saying here is that failure is a, it's, it's part of success. It's part of the process. And right. disrupt, in the sense, we're, we're going to have to change course. We're going to have to adapt. We're going to have to figure out in order to get where we want to go rather than let one failures or two one failure right. or two failures stop ourselves. It, it's all how you look at it. I mean, one of the things that I talk about when we talk about the, the value chain is billions upon billions of dollars are spent in scientific research at universities, at big businesses, at NASA and everything. And let me define the scientific process. Scientists have no idea what they're doing. That's not putting them down. That is the scientific process. They're trying to discover something that they didn't know. They're not saying, how do I make a piece of metal that will make a better razor blade? They're saying, how do I come up with a new alloy? And they go, wow, I made a new metal. I wonder what people will do with this. So the people that commercialize things, the people that turn these things into opportunity, the entrepreneurs, there are websites you can go at. NASA has 1,600 patents up there that you can take. Go start your business. Every university patents tons of stuff and has nobody trying to commercialize it. And, you know, some of the, the other fun stories in the book, during, during World War II, Southeast Asia was controlled by J Japan, so nobody could get rubber. You need rubber for tires. You need it for this, for that. You know, the war effort needed rubber. So our best scientists, Westinghouse, General Electric, all these big labs in the U.S. have to make a synthetic rubber. They're spending a fortune. I don't know what it was in 1930s and 40s dollars, but they're spending a fortune. One guy finally came up with something that has the same viscosity, same stretch, same everything. They nailed it, except for one thing. It wouldn't hold a shape. It was just this goop. It didn't fall apart. It didn't do anything. And the war ends, and they'd spent millions upon millions making this worthless goop. And this guy looked at it and said, do you mind if I take that? And he goes, sure, you know, we failed. And he put it in a bunch of plastic eggs, and they have sold 300 million eggs of Silly Putty. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, you know, Gutenberg, people think Gutenberg invented the movable type in the print as if he's like, you know, Doc Brown in Back to the Future. You know, this whole fully formed, I'm going to revolutionize printing and change knowledge and education and Western civilization and give birth to the Renaissance. Nothing could be further than the truth. What actually happened was somebody 500 years ago realized that you could use a grape press, the thing that you squeeze grapes to make olive oil. Said if we made a bigger one, we, we, I mean uh, an olive press, we could make a bigger one for grapes and then it would be easier to make wine. You don't have those people standing on barrels of stuff, you know, dancing like I Love Lucy. Well, 
So many people bought wine presses that 500 years ago, Germany was making more wine than they are today for a heck of a lot less people, and everybody in the wine business went bankrupt. Hmm. Now you can get a used, crappy wine press for next to nothing. It's a big piece of equipment. It's got a big press. We've all seen the pictures. That's when Gutenberg says, you know, I think I could take that failed wine press, put my little wooden letters in it, and I got movable type printing. So reusing things, changing things, looking at business from a different aspect. And so much of what we do today wasn't designed for what it's meant to. An entrepreneur took something from one field and said, oh, I can sell it over here. And I discovered that early in my career in my 20s. I got involved in a project where all these big corporations had spent hundreds of millions of dollars inventing optical display uh, technology. And they couldn't find a use for it. And I'm like, I don't get this. Why did you make it if you don't have it? And next thing you know, we're doing corporate training and kiosks and everything. And eventually it became a success with uh, uh, CDs and DVDs. But it's just amazing how much you can do. And that's just one example. So getting over that fear, getting over that failure. And, you know. And then what what you just said, the example of Gutenberg and the example of the optical drive, it's basically capturing value that was the key right. component what they did rather than just us, like letting the value be used in that frame of reference they moved it over to other side and said i can actually use capture this value much in a much better fashion like napster showed everybody how to steal music took the 40 billion dollar music industry down to 20 billion in two years or wiped out the business but they unlocked value they didn't capture any for themselves they didn't make mm-hmm. anything Craigslist destroyed the newspapers. Newspapers were these big, thick things for those too young to remember ancient history. But they made all their money off of little classified ads in the back. Two sentences that cost you $200 that no one ever read. But it's the only way you could communicate. Well, Craigslist wiped that out, but it didn't capture any of that value. Mm. The real genius is when you can figure out something that disrupts, but you can capture that piece that you want. So a good example would be Waze. Nobody's looking at maps anymore. Nobody's printing maps. Nobody's getting MacBook. Nobody actually cares what the path is of how you got there. Waze figured out how to use data and tell you for today, at this moment, here's your quickest route and the car next to you a different route. They're not going to get disrupted in the same way because that data is always live. That's the innovation. So they're able to capture that audience. And that's what it's about. Yeah, so let's 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 talk about that. Let's talk about the the big idea here, which is um, you you talk about in the book how there's a value chain and there are different components of a business, that different components where you can actually unlock value, and not only unlock value but capture, as you said. So let's first understand the whole layout of a business in the terms of five different. So you know, it all starts with with an idea, research, development, whatever you want to come with it. Then you have production. You have to make the thing, even if it's a digital thing, uh, you know, a physical thing. Um, then you have to, you know, figure out the marketing. You got to make demand for it. How does the world find out about it? Distribution, whether it's customer acquisition digitally or physically, how do I get it onto retail shops? Um, and then you have customer service and all the other things that ride around it. You don't necessarily have to own all those pieces of the pie. You just have to figure out for your particular product, where is the value created? Mm-hmm. So an easy example for, for people, 
is when you think about a diamond, okay? Turns out diamonds really aren't that rare. There's tons of them. But one company has a monopoly and bought up all the mines. And back 100 years ago, you could get down on a knee and propose to a woman with any kind of ring. It could be a ruby or a sapphire. It could be a pearl. It could just be a ring. Nowadays, good luck proposing without a diamond. And that was all because of one marketing campaign by a company named De Beers, which coincidentally owns all the diamond mines. And when they finally found in, in an African nation that was undergoing uh, a civil war, a diamond mine that they couldn't control. Then they started a second ad campaign about blood diamonds and conflict diamonds. And those are bad stones. Don't buy those bad stones. You know, we just exploit our workers or whatever. But now let's pretend for a second that you're in a lab and you're able to make the super compressor thing and you can put a piece of coal in there and make a synthetic diamond. Now you don't need a diamond mine. You don't need manufacturing. You don't need this or that. And you can solve for all those various pieces. So it's really, what's the piece that you need? So in the case of the diamond, the real thing that they captured and held on to was they created demand. Hmm. Okay? They created a cultural diamond is forever. A diamond means love and nothing else will do. And so they spend all their money doing that. And they are such a cartel that none of their... Officers are allowed to set foot in the U.S. because they lost an antitrust lawsuit. And so they said, okay, we'll never visit the U.S. We'll just sell diamonds here. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the new age companies, the companies that are like the, the businesses that are now getting to billions of dollars. Um, let's talk Airbnb, about Uber. Airbnb and Uber and all that stuff, yeah. So, so Uber's the most fascinating to me. So let me, let me deconstruct it from a, from a disrupt you point of view. Yeah. Everybody knows that Uber's replacing... Uh, taxis, and everybody knows that Uber is going to go to self-driving vehicles and get rid of drivers. But here's what you're missing on Uber. Today, Uber has one million drivers. Let that sink in for a second. That's a lot of people. One million employees that never met their boss, that never went to HR, that never talked to a coworker or supervisor. They report in and sign up through a piece of software. If there was an earthquake in San Francisco and Uber headquarters fell over, Uber would continue to work because there's a million people working for Skynet, okay? <laughs> so if something as complicated as transporting humans, which is harder than transporting, you know, Coca-Cola or, you know, a sack of potatoes because humans talk back and humans might not be where they say they are and everything else. If you can automate that, within the next five years, 50% of all white-collar jobs in North America will be replaced by software. Within the next five years? Five years. Wow. And that's a McKinsey number, okay? And I think they're being conservative. And then you take the, the drivers get replaced. So the number one most common job is a truck driver. Bye-bye truck drivers. By the way, there's also drone ships. So bye-bye, you know, cargo ships needing people, et cetera. So you're talking about hundreds of millions of people that will not have jobs. So you could say, well, wait a second. You took a left turn, Jay. You're telling me this dystopian, horrible future. No, I'm telling you the greatest opportunity ever. You're going to have 2.3 billion people that need to come up with new businesses. How can they utilize this technology? You could start a small business with very few people and have global reach. You're one click away on your phone from 6 billion consumers. Mm -hmm. You only have to be right once to be a billionaire. So that's the opportunity is how to look at that. And so Uber, and you'll see a million business plans, the Uber of this, the Uber of that. 
Um, when I do big audience speeches, I bring out an electric drill, you know, the zit, zit, zit. Mm-hmm. And I ask, how many people have a drill? And everybody raises their hand. And if I'm really being obnoxious, I go, how many people own more than one? Okay. According to the Drill Manufacturers Association, in the life of owning that drill, you will drill for 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Ikea. <laughs> Done, right? If you're going to own something for 15 minutes, does it make sense to own it? Or what if Amazon or somebody delivered in the morning, zit, 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 picked it up, you know, and you rented a drill for $3, right? Well, most of the time you're not in your car. Most of the time you're not using the lawnmower, et cetera, et cetera. So the sharing economy is this new 40 billion thing, which is just like Uber and software for all kinds of things and services Mm -hmm. that are much more efficient. So we're going to go from manufacturing and consuming to networking and sharing, which is also good for the environment and uses less natural resources, et cetera, et cetera. So tons of opportunity. So, and the reason why this is happening now is because information has become like the possibility to exchange information or for the information to travel has become almost, uh, the cost of that has become almost nothing. And the cost of starting a business, as you said, I think it's- The infrastructure's in place, it's it's 90% cheaper than it was 10 years ago. Play a fun game with me for two seconds and, and everybody listening, play the same game. It doesn't matter what you make in dollars or cents or pounds or whatever. Percentage. I want a percentage answer. What percent of your monthly income do you spend on digital goods today? Okay. Just give me a number. Don't think too long. Maybe 10, 20%? 10, 20%. Okay. When I do a big crowd, most people are at 5%, 10%. I will convince you in the next 60 seconds that not only are you wrong, but the majority of your income goes to digital goods. So let's define digital. Is it fair to say that which is not physical? Mm -hmm. Okay. So rent is not physical. Mortgage is not physical. Health insurance is not physical. Your cell phone bill is not physical. You know, you getting here with me? You know, Netflix isn't physical. The cable bill isn't physical. You know, your internet hookup isn't, isn't physical. Books are no longer physical unless you really want a good one, um, but you can get it digitally, ITs. So the whole point is if the majority of our GDP is now ones and zeros, anybody can hook into it. You can now be living in North Platte, Nebraska or South America or Timbuktu and compete with anybody anywhere else, right? Bitcoin currencies now flow seamlessly. You have an opportunity to solve massive world issues and reap those rewards. There are no gatekeepers, no borders, no limitations. And the infrastructure was all built for you. You just have to tap in. Yeah, it's like, uh, and the the infrastructure that has come alive now has basically um, made it all possible way more than what was possible 15 years ago, 10 years oh, ago, five 15, years ago? 15 years ago when I, when I launched a digital download store, we had to have a whole half of floor with racks and servers. I called them winky blinks because you didn't know what they did. And there was one guy who worked for you. And he said, I need more winky blinks. Right? I go, well, what's this going to cost, man? I need more air conditioning for all that. Da, 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 da. You know, now Amazon had the same problem. They were getting so big, they built this huge data center. And some genius said, hey, boss, Jeff, we got extra capacity. We can turn this into a profit center. 
And everybody else said, whoo, we don't want to run this thing. So yeah, you can tap into any cloud. You can literally run an empire with just a phone. And so what problem do you want to solve? So I know you like to do an exercise, something tangible for mm -hmm. people listening. So I'll give you one that's in the book. And by the way, before I forget, as my gift to your, to your listeners, if anybody wants a copy of the companion workbook that gives you all the exercises to do as you read the book, it's 40 pages. It's my gift to you free. Just go to jsamet.com, look at the show notes and, and the link, or reach out to me at jsamet on Twitter. But here's the exercise. In 30 days from now, you will have a billion-dollar company idea and the ability to know how to get it funded and what to do. You'll have better deal flow than any VC. And all you have to do is this. Today, write down three problems that you have in your life. Hmm. Okay? Very simple thing to do. Because all that an entrepreneur is, looks at obstacles and turns them into opportunities. Solve problems for a million people, you become a millionaire. But you have to do that every day for 30 days. So the first day, it's easy. We all have problems. Oh, I was in traffic today before I got on this interview. Traffic was a problem. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, the guys in Waze were two kids sitting in Tel Aviv in traffic saying, wait a second, the phone company knows his phone's in his car and mine's in mine and can tell him to go left and me go to right. That was the basis of Waze, right? Traffic. So as you go through your month, you'll start seeing things that you didn't realize were problems. You just accepted that's the way it is. And I'll give you one of my favorite ones from one of my readers. It's not in the book. Have you ever stood there and said, oh, did I take my pill? Wait, I think I took a pill after breakfast. I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. want to overdose. Da, 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 da. Everybody has this problem. So he took one of these Happy Meal watches, one of these you know, five-cent little digital watches, put it on a pill bottle. When you close the bottle, it sets the countdown clock to zero. So you look at the bottom and go, oh, it's been four hours. I didn't take it. Oh, it's been three minutes. Oh, yeah, right before I got on the phone, I took it. Uh -huh. Solves it. You add Bluetooth to that, and now grandma doesn't have to remember. You can call grandma and go, grandma, you didn't take your medicine at lunch. Oh, thank you. And if she figures out how you knew, she'll stop taking it altogether, so you call. But anyway, this whole ecosystem. So now we got a bill gone before Congress to mandate these lids because they're only a few cents more than a regular lid because now that we have Obamacare, you can save hundreds of billions of dollars by having people get healthier quicker and save lives from overdoses. One simple exercise of your 30 days. I forgot to take my pill. So do this for 30 days, and I guarantee you when you look at those 90 ideas at the end of the month, you'll prioritize on two axes. One, what affects the most people, mm -hmm. okay? Oh, I, you know... I wish there was a better, you know, handle grip for trapeze. Yeah, there's not that many people that are trapeze artists. Probably not a good idea to focus your life on it. On the other end, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Take the intersection of, wow, I'd really like to help people not overdose and get healthy quicker. And that affects hundreds of millions of people. Bingo, there's your business. Got it. it. So, so really great exercise to... To do you said do it every day for the next thirty days and then thirty get days to prioritizing it and yeah figuring out and it starts off real easy but then you have to walk around and look at everything in your life of what do you just put up with and accept and that's when you start realizing that's why it goes back to disrupting yourself so much of what we just 
internalized as that's the way it is. That's the way it's always done. Nothing's the antithesis of, of entrepreneurship of this is how we've always done it, right? And so that's the process. And I've, I've heard amazing stories. I actually was on a uh, radio show where the two uh, hosts really loved this. I said, okay, guys, I'm going to come back in 30 days and we're going to give a prize. Which one of you two came up with the best? And one of them took it half seriously. The other guy now is launching this business. He came up with a killer business idea, and he had the background and everything. But he wouldn't have gotten to it had he not started really struggling for, I don't have any problems left. Mm -hmm. And you know you're lying to yourself when you think you have a perfect life. (laughs) The more problems you have, congratulations, the more likely you're going to be successful. Yeah, as you said in the book, or I I guess as Nick uh, McAvely said, there is a little difference between obstacles and opportunity. And so that's all, all attitude. Right. And that's what you're teaching here that we need to attack each of those obstacles as an opportunity. And so, so that's one exercise. And as we, we, we usually try to get to three exercises for, uh, for our listeners to really get into it, to really learn. What could be a couple other exercises? So, the second one is I refer to something in the book called a zombie idea. So, more entrepreneurs are, are, are harmed by praise than criticism. The second you start building your business, coding your code, making your app, whatever it is, opening your restaurant, you're already spending money. And you're going to find out after the money's spent the mistakes that if you had known before you spent money, you'd have more runway to continue working. So one of the next exercises is find 10 potential customers, not grandma, not your wife, not somebody that wants you to succeed, and ask them to kill your idea. Ask them to absolutely tell you why it sucks, why it's going to fail, You want people to be plain out nasty because what they're doing is letting you iterate in your head, not after you've spent money and seeing that. And once you can go to those 10 people and they can no longer find something wrong with it, you have what's called a zombie idea, something that can't be killed. Hmm. It'll be not only easier to then fund, but you got built in 10 customers that are dying for it, okay? And the, the easiest example of this uh, there were, was Ray Kroc. Nobody believed in the fast food hamburger McDonald's model, but he went to meat packers. It was basically, guys, if I get this right, you know how much more meat I'm going to sell and how much more meat you will? Hamburgers will be affordable for the masses. And that's where he got his capital from. So it'll lead to strategic funding opportunities as well. Mm. So that's another great exercise. And the third one. <laughs> third one uh i'm trying to think of a topic uh to, to to focus on or we could we could just go into there's like solving problems overcoming fear um yeah i mean map really go i'd i'd say one of the other great exercises is really be honest with yourself and, and stare there in the mirror and and what is it that scares you fear is not real okay You're, on a, you're in the woods, there's a bear, and he's coming at you. The bear is real, fear isn't. Whether you're afraid or not afraid, the bear's still going to eat you or not eat you. But if you're using your mind and your energy worrying about, if you're, too many people are afraid of tomorrow and spend today rethinking yesterday's mistakes, that they're not using their energy creating the now, being in the present, solving, doing, 
Too many people get stuck working in their business instead of on their business. So if you can really just focus on one fear, you know, like it amazes me because I spend my life speaking around the world. And if, if you've enjoyed today's thing, I, I have a TED talk that just went up that I'm very proud of um, called It's Time to Disrupt You. But one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking. So get out there and go speak at a conference. There's tons of opportunities. Get over it. You're not going to die. No one shoots you. They don't throw things at you. This isn't, you know, um, medieval times. And when you overcome that, you are a different person, mm-hmm. right? So stop boiling your own kryptonite and realize that there's nothing you can't achieve. I mean, I learned this in the most probably basic way. I went to UCLA, a college with 20,000 undergraduate women. A lot of gorgeous women. <laughs> I was a young teenager. And I said, you know what? There is a gorgeous girl over there. If I ask her out and she laughs and she turns the other way and she says no, I'm right back where I started. I've lost nothing. Uh But if she says yes, and life is filled with that opportunities. And I will tell you, when you get older, when you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s, whatever old is to you, you will have more regrets for the things you didn't try than the things you tried and failed at. Mm -hmm. You want to live life without regrets. You know, if you really want to start this this process and be honest with self-disruption, ask yourself just this one painfully honest question. Are you living life or just paying bills until you die? Yeah. You know, you don't get to live forever. But what you create in your lifetime can. The impact you can have on the world can. You know, the idea that, that people in their 20s can create something like Facebook used by billions daily, that's an amazingly inspiring thing, you know? And any of us have that in us. And if you keep it and you're afraid of it and you take it to the cemetery with you, You've cheated not only yourself of success, but the world of your creations. And that just doesn't seem right. And there are so many minds. Each of us has a different path. Each of us has been exposed to different things. Each of us can see something that the rest didn't. And that's your opportunity for success, to to find that unique space that you've looked at longer, worked harder, failed more to get to, right? And you've read the book. My book isn't a pat me on the back. Oh, Jay doesn't make mistakes. No, I failed more than everybody. And I celebrate what comes out of the embers and how many times I've made millions off of the phoenix. And that's, that's to me, the excitement. I mean, when someone tells you no, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're not going to do it with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think you say... And that the only thing that you require for success is? Two things. Yeah. It's only two things you need to succeed. Insight, which is what we're talking about to get out of that 90-day exercise, and perseverance. Everything else can be hired. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the only person that can ever stop you is you. There's no gatekeepers blocking access to cash. I mean, crowdfunding. I mean, 
Elon Musk just crowdfunded $14 billion in orders. <laughs> That's right. Can you, and without one TV commercial, right? Can you imagine the meetings taking place in Detroit going, how does a guy get that many advance orders? Why are we spending hundreds of millions of dollars on TV commercials when this guy is not spending a dime? Yeah, okay. just, just for everyone's reference, that's like he's gotten 400,000 pre-orders for the next Tesla. Right, which no, one, which no one has seen, touched, or test-driven. And it's phenomenal. And the only reason I don't have a pre-order is I haven't been over there yet because I don't have to be the first guy to get it. But do you know how much money he's going to be able to save knowing exactly out of 400,000 vehicles to scale for that? How many blue, green, gold, whatever the colors, how many want the radio, how many don't. I mean, this will be the greatest custom manufacturing run ever. $14 billion in orders in one day. Amazing. And it doesn't just have to be for that. Go on Kickstarter. Kickstarter is exactly what we're talking about. We're finding the 10 customers. Hello, I've just found 200,000 customers that are willing to do this. And it's not just the thing that make the headlines. So I don't know if everybody can see behind me this giant yep. uh, 10 by 18 foot magic poster. I, I paid my way through college as a magician. I'm a member of the Magic Castle. That's my hobby, my passion. There are magicians that come with a new little deck of cards that they want to print with some new little special whatever. And they go on Kickstarter and they go, guys, here's the trick that you could do. If 200 of us get it, you know, we all get it. They're like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. People are crowdfunding all kinds of stuff. We're going from a world of mass production to custom production. Um, 3D printing can be in metal, can be human organs, uh, noses for transplants, uh, uh, vegetarian beef, right? Halal pork. I mean, there's amazing things that are being done right now that printers can do. One of my favorite examples, talk about solving problems and having a purpose in life at the same time. Imagine, heaven forbid, you have a small child missing a limb, Because they grow so fast, you can't afford getting them a several hundred thousand dollar prosthetic hand until probably they're like 13, 14, 15, which means all those formative years, no one's playing catch with them. No one's calling them in in PE class. They're feeling left out. All those things are being embedded into them seeing their potential. Now you can 3D print a hand for a couple hundred dollars. But an entrepreneur here in town did something even better. He went to Disney and he got a license to make Iron Man hand, Frozen Princess hand, Star wow. Wars hand. Now you can go from being less than to cool and more than. You can feel pride. You can be included. And what do you think will be the outcome outside of being able to tie your shoes? The difference in those people's lives by that 3D printing. Now, the guy that made the 3D printers didn't say, ooh, I'm making this device to change prosthetics in the lives of children. He said, we can now form goop into shapes. It's up to you, the entrepreneur, to decide what that shape is. That's right. So he created the value, but you're now capturing the value in some ways yeah. in a different and, way than... And changing lives. I mean, that's the greatest balance of, of, of all the pieces that get you going in the morning. Yeah. Well, very, very inspiring, Jay. Thank you very much. And uh, just for our listeners, where can they learn more about you? Where can they uh, learn all that you have to offer and find the book and all that stuff? So I'm easy to find anywhere on social media, but I have a website, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T. 
If you click there, you can get the free 40-page workbook. You can see my TED Talks, other speeches. You can follow me. I've got about 100,000 uh, entrepreneurs that follow me on Twitter. I tweet motivation several times a day. Uh, um, I have a lot of fun with it. It's my creative release. And then, you know, through that, I'll share where I'm speaking around the country and around the world. I love to hear from people and engage with them. The book's now out in seven languages. If, if my voice doesn't annoy you, there's the audio version, nine hours of my voice in your head. I listen uh, to the audio. So. Uh, the voice doesn't leave you. Um, but it's fun hearing it from the original author, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I, I so, like that because there's more emotion involved when as the original author speaking because they get they know the reason behind why they're saying something why they're saying the things they say yeah and again i went out to the fans and said okay do you want you know george clooney do you want a real voice or do you mm. want my voice and overwhelmingly that's what everybody said so locked myself in a studio and that was a lot of work, but I, I uh, uh, you know, reach out to me. I'm here to help, here to serve. And, and my soapbox is this, as I said earlier, when you look at what's happening in the U.S. inner cities, Ferguson and Baltimore and everything, when you look at what's happening in Europe right now and, and the economies, when you look at ISIS, this isn't race, religion, or culture. This is massive unemployment for 2.3 billion millennials. So unless we learn how to start businesses, how to create, how to solve and overcome obstacles, the stability of nations goes away. And the countries with the highest unemployment under 30 are the ones that are having the revolutions. And it's not because people believe in this ideology or that ideology. It's because they've lost hope and ability to see a path to raise their children, to have a family to feed themselves. And so entrepreneurs are the only ones that create jobs. Let's go out there and, and, and you know, change the world. That's right. Uh, thank you very much, Jay. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. So a lot of you have asked me how I consume seven books a week. Well, I do read a lot, but I also listen to audiobooks when I'm driving, when I'm working out, when I'm running errands, when I'm out running. It's such a great use of my time. And not only that, I listen to the books at three times the normal speed. Yeah, it's 3x. So I consume a six-hour-long book in two hours flat. I just love Audible for that. And I've been using it for years now. And right now, you can... Give Audible a try by signing up for a free trial membership and get any audiobook in their library for free. And if you don't like it, just cancel the trial membership and you won't be charged anything. However, you still get to keep the audiobook forever for free. So to avail this offer, just head on over to 2000books.com slash free. That's 2000books.com slash F-R-E-E free. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, go out and live a courageous life. <laughs>